the ability to generate a lot of income, but you can also instantly see how it becomes a bit of um, a nightmare planning all the content, right? Yes. So this is why you can't just make money on Instagram or everybody's going to look at your feed and think, well, what am I reading? You know, a magazine? No, it should really read like real life. So sell a blog post, sell an Instagram series, have some, you know, develop another skill. So diversify, open up a shop online, start selling some of the some of the cakes that you bake or sell an online course on how to ice a cake. I would totally buy that. <laughs> you know, like you have to really think about all the different pieces that fit together for you as a content creator and what adds value and where you can change your pricing. Because relying solely on that metric of kind of a one-to-one if what happens if all of a sudden your blog page shuts down and your page views tank, like you, you can't just put it all in one bucket like that. Welcome to the lifestyle edit podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, Naomi Mdudu, the lifestyle edit founder, business strategist, and coach to creative female founders ready to scale their businesses with intention. Each week, I sit down with a guest to pull back the curtain on the strategies successful entrepreneurs are implementing to scale their income and increase their impact. We are cutting out the fluff to give you weekly insights to uplevel your mindset and tap into your infinite potential to create a life and business you love on your own terms. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now let's begin. Erin, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute thrill. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have you because I, you, first of all, I am such a big fan of your podcast. And what I love about you and your experience is that when it comes to the phenomenon that is influencer marketing, you have seen it from both sides as an influencer yourself, but also now through your company, Storyhouse Co., where you are helping brands kind of navigate this whole influencer marketing landscape. Um, So before we dive into all of that good stuff, I'd love to go back a bit and for you to just give everybody a little bit more information about life before what you're doing now. (laughs) Wow, that's a trip. Okay. So life before for me, um, it was one of those things where it was just very prescribed. So I grew up in downtown Toronto, which is, you know, fourth largest city in North America. And I grew up right, right, right downtown. Um, two extremely young but very ambitious parents. Um, And my father was in the news business. So he was on the radio, on television from the time I was born. Um, So I kind of grew up with that storytelling, go get them kind of environment in my household. And I took to it like a fish to water, right? Or a duck to water. What do we say? A duck to water? Anyway. um, So... From a very young age, I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a storyteller, and it was really easy for me to gravitate towards the news business. Um, And so, you know, fast forward, I went to University of Toronto and I studied politics because I knew that if you wanted to be a successful journalist, that doing politics was kind of the best way in. Um, I coupled that with a degree in philosophy. And at at the time, I felt like the philosophy was kind of like my... 
my little gem. It was like not really going to help me in my life. It wasn't anything that anybody else really held in high regard. It was kind of this cute little side degree that I was doing. And when I reflect back, you know, that was 18 years ago, those classes I loved so much more than the politics classes, (laughs) right? Um, And the history and stuff. I mean, the politics was great and it really gave me a solid foundation for going ahead and being a journalist uh, because I ended up going to grad school and uh, getting my MA in journalism. And I've worked in now newsrooms uh, across Canada and um, at one point ended up being Canada's youngest female talk show host ever, (laughs) which was a wild trip. Yep. Yep. I don't know who made that decision, but they did. So, um, but then, you know, one day I, I kind of just kept going forward with my career in the newsroom and, and I just was, I was so unhappy, Naomi. Like I was really, really good at what I did and people looked up to me and all of the interns wanted to spend time with me and understand how I did what I did. And it was just, I got, you know what? I got bored. It had been from the time I was 16 to the time I was 32 and, you know, throw in pregnancy and infertility and, you know, just the constant hustle of the 24 hour news cycle. And I made this decision to walk away. And you know, if I can just back up a little bit in the background, what I had done is I had gone out on my own and bought my own condo. Um, you know, it was kind of around 2008 when the market crashed. So real estate got kind of cheap and I was able to get in at a really good price. Um, yeah. And I was single working. So I, you know, I, I had it on my own and then I met my husband like six months later and he moved in with me and yada, yada, yada. But I started this blog because I live, you know, three provinces away from my family and I had bought this little condo and I wanted to show my family all the fun, quirky ways that I was updating my house. So I didn't, Facebook was still in its infancy. It wasn't easy to share pictures over email. So I just started a blog and that was really the genesis of my, um, blogging career. I kept it going as I was going through the tumult of the news business. So it almost became like my safe haven. So I would go to work and I would report on the most ghastly things, you know, political upheaval, murder, um, assaults. You know, I did the police beat and the city hall beat and all of that stuff. I've done it. And I'd come home just absolutely drained emotionally. And I would sit at my computer and I would blog for hours and hours on end and it wouldn't feel like work. So, you know, when I decided to walk away from the news business, um, it was terrifying. Um, but I knew that I had this passion inside of me that I, I could turn it into something. Um, and, and kind of that's, that's how I got to be where I am now. How was how did the people around you, kind of your colleagues, family and friends respond when you said that you are going to walk away from this incredible career that you'd spent years cultivating and mm-hmm. step into the unknown. And the reason why I ask you is because I think nowadays we're hearing so much more about entrepreneurship and blogging and being an influencer as a full-time job. But 
I know for me at least when I just when I was telling people that I'm going to start this platform and you know leaving my job as a journalist they were just like what are you doing like it's funny now looking back they see how the landscape has changed but at the time it was like holy cow why are you giving up everything that you've worked for what was it isn't it so funny like people said that to me too like oh my goodness you're giving up a lot and yeah, there was a moment and it, this will be burned into my brain probably until the day I die. So kind of the last straw for me, I mentioned, you know, my husband and I had gone through some pretty wicked difficulty getting, getting pregnant. And I was actually, no, that's, that's not even the truth. I was getting pregnant. I wasn't able to carry the pregnancies to term. Um, so I was suffering multiple miscarriages and I remember, you know, one of them was particularly bad and I ended up in hospital for more than a week. Um, I needed two different surgeries. Anyway, it just got really kind of medically complicated. And that was, I was like, I can't just go back to work and feel normal and feel on all the time. And I was a news anchor on television at the time. So, you know, hiding the bags under your eyes and always looking like you're, you're a million bucks, you know, like you don't feel that way. You don't want to look that way. And all you're being paid to do is talk about everybody else's problems when really what you want to do is just like crawl into a corner and cry. And I'll never forget kind of the moment that I realized what a commodity I was in the newsroom when my boss at the time just said, you know, well, you're back to work now. Stop wearing blue, straighten your hair, put on some lipstick, get out there and do your job. And I was like, so, so I think about it and it's like, what was I giving up? What was I giving up working for the man? That's more like it. Right. Yes. When I finally decided to sign my resignation and I passed it across the table to my then news director. And I mean, I was emotional. I was shaking. I was already crying. It felt like probably the most terrifying experience I'd ever had. And I remember he looked me straight in the eye and he said, best of luck. You had a very bright future. And it was like, okay, that just sealed it. I not only had a very bright future, but it just got brighter. Like I had no choice but to succeed and thrive. And it was almost like, you know, that Frank Sinatra said it, like um, success is the best form of revenge or whatever. (laughs) Like that's kind of how I felt. Like I felt really, really empowered to just like kick serious ass and almost like prove him wrong. Now, since then, I have definitely changed that emotional approach. So I don't make decisions out of (laughs) anger or revenge or spite, but that really was a moment for me when I thought, man, like there's this massive segment of people out there who just don't either don't get it or really never will. And I have to kind of stop trying to please those people, you know? You're so right. And I think sometimes it took me stepping away to realize that actually that whole, everything that you described, that's a form of emotional abuse. It's that, you know, you are nothing without this job. And it took me so long to realize that, no, it wasn't the job. It wasn't the name. I was the secret source. And the value that I was contributing in that role, holy cow, if it's my own thing, the sky Mm -hmm. is the bloody limit. Yeah. And it's like the most beautiful, freeing thing when you realize that moment. And 
the cool thing about being an entrepreneur now is that I can bring myself back to that moment whenever I want. So if I'm feeling down, all I have to do is remember like, oh, I, I can do whatever the heck I want. Like, you know, I can eat craft dinner for breakfast. I can, <laughs> day. Like, I can do whatever I want and I can define my own success. It's not going to be by someone else's terms. So, you know, that was like a roundabout way of explaining why I do what I do now to be also to be perfectly fair. I didn't take a straight path from the newsroom to blogging. I did have a really interesting kind of interlude, um, that I'm really glad it happened. Um, I won't go back to it, but it was an awesome 18 to 24 months. I don't remember how long it was where I worked at a tech startup, um, based here in Canada, but we had offices in Boston as well. Um, and it was a small team and it was a scrappy team. And I was working as their business, um, development manager and also strategic partnerships. So it was just this really cool kind of like intersection between my storytelling news business and my strategic understanding of the digital landscape. Um, the beautiful part is then I did get pregnant. I carried my pregnancy to term. I continued to work for that company through my pregnancy from home, knowing that once my maternity leave was over, I was ready to kind of spread my wings and do my own thing. So, you know, I did have a bit of a soft landing. It wasn't like a hard stop. Um, but uh, yeah, that was always the goal it was to just continue to tap into my innate passion and, and pursue it full time. Isn't it funny when you look back that you realize that those little moments were so it was part of that journey. It's the same thing with me. I started off doing strategy and done for you consulting. And at the time, was it particularly what I wanted to be doing? No, but it gave me the cash flow in order to really fund and not have to dilute the content that I was putting out. And I learned so much managing big budgets, small budgets, um, you know, clients in, the, in Europe, clients in the States. Um, so that was su now mm -hmm. such a big part of the growth of my business. Um, but you never yeah. really realize it at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. At the time I was kind of like, what am I doing here? Like, this is not my world. I was, you know, I went from being one of the youngest in a newsroom to being one of the oldest on a startup team. And I was like, wow, like these, these people understand Snapchat and I don't understand <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> But it was a really great time. I mean, I got to learn a lot about venture capital. I got to learn a lot about pitching uh, for investment at that really high level. I worked um, with a lot of agencies uh, and I got to understand what makes them tick and understand, you know, sales cycles and those kinds of things. Um, completely different industry, but nevertheless, like such a valuable way to have spent that 18 months. And as you said, it allowed me to sock some money away, um, not only for maternity leave, but also as a little nest egg to start my own business. So it was, yeah, that was really time well spent. So you started this, the blog as a way to kind of share all of the, the kind of decorating that you're doing of your first home, but it very mm -hmm. quickly transitioned into a business. Um, so how were you able to make that transition? What were some of the steps that you did? Um, so nuts and bolts things that I did is I invested very early on, like within a couple of years, I invested in, in 
I, I guess, apps, apps and software technology that I was able to use and understand myself. So something that I see a lot now is people kind of coming out of the woodwork saying like, oh, I'm just going to be an influencer and I'm going to be a blogger and I'm going to pay somebody all of this money, like a developer or a WordPress person or whoever to like do it all for me. And I'm just going to you know, type my blog posts and take my pictures and that's it. And when something goes wrong, they freak out. So I think it's important to hire professionals to do jobs that you cannot do or don't want to do. But I also think before you do that, you need to have a really good baseline understanding of the technology and the platform that you're going to be using, because if that's going to be how you're going to make money, you sure as heck need to understand what does what, right? So mm-hmm. my business partner now at Storyhouse Co, Jennifer, I just, I love her to bits. I have so much admiration for her and, and us coming together as partners has been one of the, the biggest blessings in my life. But she laughs at me because um, I'll buy us a new app or something to, to help with XYZ task. And I'll say, okay, give me a couple hours. I need to push every button. And you know, then we'll reconvene a couple hours later and, and I'll have everything kind of figured out at a really basic level. And I, I pushed every button, Jen, I can tell you what every button does. And I have a note of, you know, what I don't understand. And when I know that, then we consult with, you know, our technical producer or a VA or someone who can help me understand what it is I don't understand. Bloggers need to do more of that. I hear just too many people who say, I, I want to be a blogger, but I don't like technology. And it's like, for real? Like, that's all you've got. <laughs> you better understand it. <laughs> so that's that's a piece of advice that I don't often give, but I think it's crucial. I think for those people who are who are posting less frequently and higher production values, those are the people that have a bankroll behind them, who have photographers, who have those backend developers. And if that's you, go for it. If you are an average small business owner, someone who is just passionate about a particular topic, you do have to post regularly and it does, it does, it serves multiple purposes. So like, yes, it looks good to your readers. It also looks good to potential sponsors, but let's not forget that it also looks really good to Google. So if you are going to niche down and become an influencer in, I don't know what, like, baking cakes, okay, which is a very noisy space right now, baking and cooking and food blogging. But if you really want to be an authority on that, you have you have four people to impress. So your readers, number one, your sponsors, number two, and advertisers. Um, that kind of translates into readers. That's sort of the two sides of the same coin. You have Google who wants you to become an authority on the topic by continuously writing related topics and linking them all together technically. And then you have yourself. And I think if you don't show up, like you said, every week and write something about baking a cake every week, you are going to talk yourself out of doing it. And you're going to talk yourself out of feeling worthy enough to share that. I mean, there were times in my DIY blog where I posted projects that were absolutely vile. (laughs) Like looking back, I never want anybody to see them because they were epic fails. Um, But for whatever reason, I knew I had to do it because if I didn't, was I a DIY blogger? If I didn't, was I even a blogger? You have to commit. Um, and I think once a week is, is not 
too big of a commitment, I'd say. I agree. I completely agree. So what would you say for someone who's listening, who is trying to grow their influencer business, maybe in a corporate job and wants to go full time, where does their blog or their platforms need to be before they can start monetizing? Is there a sweet spot for your numbers? Like how do they know that they're ready to take it to that level? That's so hard. It's like, I get asked that question a lot. Um, and the, the, there really isn't an answer. It's gotta be a comfort level. It's gotta be a hustle level. I would say you have to have been doing it. Okay. If you have a corporate job, you're probably making decent money. So you're going to have to be ready to take a pay cut like just off the bat. Um, also I would not quit working until and unless you have hit a certain income threshold blogging part-time already so that you have a sense of what it takes to generate two, three X that. Um, so when I was still working, you know, I made all, I, I had a very meager goal when I was working full-time. I wanted my blog to pay our mortgage, our property taxes, and our utilities, like effectively, right? Which is not, it's not a huge goal, but that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that if I could achieve that while I was still working, um, that was awesome. So as soon as I hit that goal, then I, my next goal was to double that so that not only was I paying for the house effectively, but I was also bankrolling extra dollars for renovations or bigger projects or to, you know, purchase a new car or whatever, like not a huge financial goal. Then I hit that. And when I hit that, I knew that I had what it took to go full time. Now it didn't mean that I was able to keep working at that pace though, because every time you two X your business, um, I won't say you have to work twice as hard. You just have to work twice as smart and be extremely efficient. So one thing you have to start thinking about is repurposing content. One thing you have to think about is having multiple sponsors for the same content. How do you do that when you're thinking about things like adjacency? You know, you don't want one sponsored post next to another sponsored post. Nothing drives me more crazy than that. Um, so then, you know, then it, you really have to start think, thinking strategically like a business. So if I want to two, three X what I've done, you know, how does, what does that look like? And at the end of the year, how many blog posts have I written? Um, how many sponsors do I need? You know, it really becomes more about the strategy at that point. So what are the ingredients of a good pitch to a brand? What are brands looking for from that initial outreach? Should an influencer start forging that relationship with the brand beforehand so they've got something to show before they start asking for money? Um, how does that initial outreach work? That's It's changed a lot in the last five or six years. And, you know, I have, I have also worked as a a representative for bloggers who are outside of my niche as well. So I've had kind of an interesting perspective. Storyhouse works with some select bloggers coaching them on their pitches, but I've also been kind of that face of the pitch for other people. So I've seen a lot of things come back at me from, from agencies and from brands. So first thing first is you do have to have some credence. So if you are working with example, cause I do a lot of home renovations and stuff. So if I'm working with a particular product and I really like it and they're not a sponsor, I will tag them on social media. I will, um, 
if somebody asks me a question, so I'm using a particular type of drill bit or something, and then somebody direct messages me and says, can you tell me more about that? I always, always screen grab that. And I put it in a folder on my desktop for those times. Yes, that's a very good trick. So, so you have this arsenal. Now you're not necessarily going to show it to the brand, but it gives you kind of juices when you do sit down to craft that pitch. You can think, I know my readers are interested in this very particular thing. And this is why, you know, I am an ideal partner for you. And here's what I can give to you. So, so I do kind of those things on the regular, whether I'm going to work with a sponsor or not. The other really important thing when you're pitching is just I'll go back to this is consistency. So one of my clients was, uh, or she still is, um, a, a very successful blogger in Canada in the mom niche, which is a very crowded space, but she's extremely successful. One of the things that we do, we did with her was insist on 20 cold pitches per month. So that wow. does not include repeat clients. That does not include pitches that were sent to her by agencies. That was 20 cold pitches a month. So you have to go basically go through your home and find every single brand that you would want to represent, write them down on a spreadsheet and dig and dig and dig and find those contacts. And you have to be a pitching machine. Yes. Um, I want to just stop you there for a moment. I'm so pleased that you said that because one of the biggest things that I see with clients who are influencers or just people in the space is that there's a lot of this, but why didn't that brand choose me? Why did they, why was I not included in that campaign? And we're running businesses, right? It's not just about waiting for a brand to choose you. You have to be proactive about seeking out these opportunities and showing why you are the right fit. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if you have been in talks with a brand and something does go sideways and the, the, the contract doesn't come together, just ask the question. It's all information, right? Ask, why didn't this come together? Now, I now I'll be the first to admit that that's happened to me a few times. And a couple of times I felt kind of weird about going back to them and being like, okay, so we just did three months of talking about this and all of a sudden, poof, it didn't exist anymore. That was, you know, five figures that I now will not be receiving this year for work rendered. What happened? So, and you usually get a really insightful reason. So you know, it was something about the client not being ready for that type of content. And there's typically a but attached to that. And when there's a but, it's usually, but let's revisit next quarter, which gives you an entire quarter to rethink coming back to them with something different. Um, figure out a different way into that client. So I find that we didn't choose you for this campaign. Never, ever, ever, ever means that you're never going to be chosen again, or that there isn't going to be another opportunity with that brand in the next couple months. There's usually a really, really good reason why they didn't choose you. Um, just don't be afraid to ask why. What if I told you that I have a group of like-minded women to connect you with who are at a similar stage of business, but with different strengths and challenges. Women who are ambitious and ready to do the hard work like you, who you could crowdsource your ideas with and get constructive feedback in a safe, confidential space. 
What if I told you that you could tap into this group, not only for support and accountability, but for insights into the strategies that are working and in real time? That's what the TLE Accountability Circle is all about. It's a monthly membership community for entrepreneurs who want to learn from like-minded founders and be held accountable for taking steps to realize their goals. Take your business and impact to the next level and transform your mindset in this amazing group. Apply today via the link in our show notes. Completely. And also, I guess, part of that is not connecting your worthiness as an individual with whether a brand decides to work with you or not. Oh, my lands, mic drop. Like, this is like, okay, so... Let me just say, I, I am obsessed with Insta stories. And if you watch my personal Insta stories, you will see me like 99% of the time without makeup. My hair is a mess. I'm, I'm honest and honest and honest. And I find, I see some of these influencers who uh, have very high numbers and we can get to that in a minute if you want, but very high numbers. And they complain when they quote unquote, lose opportunities and they complain to their audience. And it says so much to me, number one, that they are desperate for that kind of sympathetic attention, which I don't think, I don't, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, but also that their self-worth is really wrapped up in these sponsors. So then you have to kind of ask the question, I'm an influencer, but who am I working for? Right. Yes, am I doing, creating all of this content just because I want a Unilever brand to sponsor me? Or am I creating this content because I am offering my audience massive value at a massive scale in a way that they can appreciate? Because yes. as soon as you lose sight of that and you start working to impress the brands, like, oh, I'm going to work with uh, head and shoulder shampoo because that's going to make Redken jealous and look at me and they're going to come and want to work with me next year. Like if that's kind of the rationale that's running through your head at any point in time, you need to stop yourself and really ask the question, what am I doing and why? As soon as you return to that, who, you know, serving the people who, who really propped you up to where you are today you will be in a way better headspace, like way better. And don't, don't complain about it on Instagram stories. You can be real about it and say you're upset, but don't, you know, Oh, I had a missed opportunity today. Blah, 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 blah. Like, don't give me that. Right. Like, don't give me that. (laughs) I amen to that. It's so, so true. And I guess, um, one of the things that often comes up when it comes to worthiness is about money and pricing. And, you know, there's, we see it all the time on Insta stories, you know, these, these quotes like, no, you're worth and da, 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 da. And it's hard, right? When you're, Mm -hmm. when you're still trying to figure it out, how you fit in the market um, and how you should price your services. I know that there isn't a kind of one size fits all formula, but what advice do you have, especially through the work that you do at Storyhouse and you're seeing, you know, you're, you're working, you know, hand in hand with these brands. How should somebody listening who is in this influencer space navigate pricing? So there are a few rules of thumb. First thing I want to get out of 
you know, just out in the open is if you think that you are going to build a sustainable income on one platform, so let's use Instagram because that's the sexy platform right now. I think you have another think coming. Um, that is not, it's just not sound business, right? You want to make sure you're diversifying so that you can have different rates for different services. And that's something that Jennifer and I, you know, we impart on, on our members and team story house all the time. You have to diversify, think both, you know, think laterally and think sustainably and long-term you can make a killing on Instagram right now, but next year, who knows what's going to happen. So I'll just preface everything with that. In terms of the rule of thumb for generating sponsorship dollars, um, we like to say it's kind of, in terms of page views, you want to be charging, let's say you get 100,000 page views a month, you should be charging somewhere in the range of $1,000 um, in your own currency. So Canadian American, if you're working with a Canadian or American company, blah, blah, blah. So it would transfer currency. Um, so it'd be about a thousand dollars for a blog post for social media. If you have 40,000 Instagram followers, you're looking at somewhere between, I would say in the range of 500 to a thousand dollars for a post series. So two static photos, maybe a couple of Instagram story arcs is what you would be getting. There would be other caveats in there. So you can instantly see how there is the ability to generate a lot of income, but you can also instantly see how it becomes a bit of um, a nightmare planning all the content, right? Yes. So this is why you can't just make money on Instagram or everybody's going to look at your feed and think, well, what am I reading? You know, a magazine? No, it should really read like real life. So sell a blog post, sell an Instagram series, have some, you know, develop another skill. So diversify, open up a shop online, start selling some of the, some of the cakes that you bake or sell an online course on how to ice a cake. I would totally buy that. <laughs> you know, like you have to really think about all the different pieces that fit together for you as a content creator and what adds value and where you can change your pricing because relying solely on that metric of kind of a one-to-one -one, if what happens if all of a sudden your blog page shuts down and your page views tank like you you can't just put it all in one bucket like that it's so true and i'm so pleased that you said that because i was at a conference at the start of the year and one of the girls who was doing a presentation, she was saying that she makes 80% of her revenue from affiliates. So linking to items that she's wearing. And instantly mm -hmm. I like panicked for her. So I was like 80% of your revenue on one area on affiliates. That seems crazy to me. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw what happened. There's, and I won't mention the company, but there's a really large affiliate marketing um, firm based out of New York city. A lot of the top influencers use them. I use them infrequently because they're mostly fashion and I'm certainly not fashion, <laughs> but, um, when Instagram changed their API and shut down a few tiny pieces of code, all of a sudden their entire platform was forced to change. And the conversion rates for people using that affiliate platform plummeted like 
overnight. People who were making massive, massive money on affiliates all of a sudden had to completely change the way they were telling their readers to interact with their affiliate links. The affiliate links were not tracking properly. We have consistently seen, you know, once every few months, I hear from somebody who has gotten tossed out of the Amazon affiliate program for you know, whether it was a, a real error or not a real error, a perceived error, you know, those things happen. <laughs> people get kicked off of Facebook. People have their Instagram accounts compromised. People have Pinterest boards just up and disappear. Like it happens. So if you have 80% of your income coming from one particular venture, you need to think smarter about how you're going to continue that sustainably. It's so true. And one of the things that I'm constantly talking to my clients about is moving away from this model where it's constantly about customer acquisition. You're constantly trying to work with that next brand. I am all about once you've got them in and you've delivered the results, how can you go deeper with your existing clients, your existing partnerships and have that ongoing residual income? So what advice do you have for influencers? They've now done a great campaign about the next steps because I get surprised and I've done this for brands too, where I'm helping them negotiate the influencer relationships. And we've had some campaigns that have done really well. And the influencer will never say to me like, how did it go? What were the numbers? And it's like, you're missing an opportunity to, to book a long-term campaign. Um, yeah, how, should, how should they broach that? Huge. So you're right. I, I don't have any real evidence to back this up, but I would say that a significant portion of influencers never proactively follow up on a campaign ever. And that is the number one way to get repeat business. Um, so that's a great example. So we're heading into, it's September right now. We're heading into busy holiday season. All of the clients I'm going to be working with for the rest of the year on my side um, are repeat clients. I have had to do like, I had to send out maybe four emails and I have filled my entire calendar until December. Wow. So there's power in the repeat customer. Now the, the key is really knowing which ones were aligned well with you. Um, And then continuing to do things, like I said, take those screen grabs of the direct messages, plop them into a folder so that when you go back to the client, A, you have an idea of where to bring the content and the storyline next. B, you have um, extra evidence to show them that there is still interest in their brand, right? So follow up. I always pull together a little numbers report. So, you know, this is how many page views it got. This is how um, how many social media reach and likes and this and that. Another metric that I really, really like to talk to brands about is the time spent on site. So if you have a blog, you can find that in Google analytics. Yeah. Brands really like that because if they're popping over to say only enter a giveaway, your time spent on site might be abysmal. But if they're really reading your blog post, let's say it's a thousand word blog post and your average time spent on site is over three minutes, that is hugely valuable to the brand. Um, So so that's when I really like. Yeah. So are there ever instances where it makes sense to accept a product or an experience in lieu of payment? And in talking about this, I'm thinking a lot about travel influencers, for example. Mm -hmm. They 
I know a friend of mine, she's probably going to be listening right now, who has this problem. She creates the most stunning photography, amazing um, content. And they'll use that. They'll share it on their social. They'll do all of that. But they're like, well, we gave you the hotel stay. So isn't that enough? Yeah, that's so the travel thing is it is a very sticky, sticky situation. Um, I think there is always an opportunity to work for product. Contra is, I choose to call it Contra. I don't say you're working for free product because, you know, in my old business, radio business, Contra was something that was a taxable benefit, right? So (laughs) you are still providing service for something of value. Never forget that. And please stop saying hashtag free product. Okay. a gifted product. It's a contra product. It is a review product. It is not free. Okay. It's just not free. Stop saying that because you're devaluing yourself and you're also misinterpreting the entire industry when you say it's free. So it's not free, but do I think that you can work for things? So would you work for a, for a contra washer and dryer set? Probably those are expensive and you're likely going to buy it anyway. Uh, would you work for a contra, I don't know, like a really big service, like a deck building service? Probably, right? That's going to add value to your home. It's going to add value to your readers. It's going to be a very interesting evergreen post because people are going to be building decks until kingdom come, right? Yeah. What about the hotel thing? Okay. So like, let's really dig into that. And what I would say is do it. If you want to travel to Fiji and you want an all expenses paid trip to Fiji and you're going anyway for your honeymoon, do it, but make sure, make sure that you still have a contract for how that hotel can use your images. That would be what I would stress in that particular instance. Um, because that trip to Fiji is something that's going to sit in your mind for the rest of your life. You're going to be able to close your eyes and revisit those blue waters and the beaches, but it is not going to continue to give value to your business, right? You're probably, you might get a bunch of page views, right? So if you threw it up on a blog, you might end up getting some nice recurring ad revenue, but, but nothing super meaningful. So unless it's other hotels asking you to come stay for free, right? So make sure you're protecting the content you create when you're there. So I'll stay at your hotel and at the end of my stay, I will give you four high res images that are unwatermarked that you can use on your social media with credit back to me, right? And then you give them only those four. You may have taken 4,000. Don't give them free reign over all of that content. I think that that's a mistake that a lot of influencers make is they just don't think about those long-term ramifications. What happens if all of a sudden that photo ends up on a billboard? Yeah. And you, you have, you have no ability to go back at them, um, and seek compensation for that. And you should. So just, just be aware of that. Um, the travel thing is, is always going to be a toss up. 
And I always say, just think about like adjacent brands that you would naturally be enjoying while you're away. It's like exactly what you were saying, like looking around your house, like what are the things that you use regularly? Is it that you have this amazing suitcase that you travel with that you absolutely love? Could you create content for them? So it may not be that you're getting the payment from that actual place that you're traveling to, but how can you actually now create partnerships with adjacent brands to make, take advantage of that opportunity, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. That would be, that would be a great way to get an all expenses paid trip is one thing I've been seeing, which is kind of neat is if let's say you're a travel blogger and you have a bunch of friends who are also travel bloggers, you know, five or six of you get together and pool your resources. So I did this, uh, for, I don't know, it was almost two years, um, with a DIY group. There were 10 of us all across North America, literally from coast to coast, we pooled our numbers. Um, so our Facebook, our blog reach, all of those things. And we had, when you pull 10 bloggers together, it's a very impressive number. And we decided that on the second Wednesday of every month, we were going to do, we were all going to work on a, the same product project. So, and then we would approach brands as a collective and say, Smart. right. So we were going to places like, um, well, DIY again, this is where I'm just going to fall back, but we're going to places like paint companies or power tool companies. And we're saying, okay, so in February, we all want to make a project using a miter saw. So send us all miter saws. We're going to all post at the same time on the same day. And we're all going to link to each other's posts. So Google really, really likes that. And you tell them that because they don't always understand. The brands don't get it. Google likes when you interlink like content with like content. And then we're going to run a giveaway for all of our readers. So that's going to increase, you know, exposure to your page. Um, We did all of these things and we commanded a premium price for that. And then we just kind of divvied it up 10 ways. So you can still, you can do that in your own niche as an influencer. And what that does is it, it does a bunch of things. It bolsters your, um, the way that you look, you know, how many sponsors you're working with, because you can work with so many more sponsors when you can go to someone and say, look, we get collectively 3 million page views a month. You think that you're going to turn the head of brands that way? Absolutely. (laughs) So that might be the way in to one of those larger brands is to, to go as a collective and pitch a really, really uh, well-crafted group campaign. Now you have that giant brand, American Airlines, whoever it is on your media kit, and that looks amazing for you. So when you think strategically that way, what do you have at your disposal that can help you is your community, not only of readers that you're selling effectively those numbers, but also your blogging community is, is where you should also be looking to for, for assistance. Oh, Erin, that is so good. That's so, so good. And I I love this conversation that we're having because I think we hear so much about the creative, the content side, but not so much about the strategy that has to underpin that for all of this to make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to, I could talk about this to you for ages, but I want to just quickly touch on um, Instagram before we, we close up because as you said, that's a sexy platform right now. Um, And, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you know, the algorithm, all of this kind of stuff. How can we be more strategic about Instagram? So it's not just about numbers. We're actually turning 
followers into revenue. Mm. Are there any strategies that you've seen that's been working that, yeah, that, that people can implement? Because as you said, you can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, but none of that tribe has actually spent a dime on any of your, your own products, your recommendations. How can we be training our audience to take that next step with us? So it's not kind of voyeuristically looking at our content. I, that is, and that is the perennial question. I think we're going to be asking that for the next, you know, 12 months or so. I will be really interested to see what happens on Instagram over the next year because, and I'm going to say something really bold right now. I, I think that that has been the goal for Instagram influencers of late. I think that that's going to change. I think that Instagram influencers are going to realize that that conversion is too hard and takes too long to enact to make it profitable. And what I mean by that is what we're seeing on Instagram is these accounts that are growing leaps and bounds. And, and let me back up the accounts that are growing organically leaps and bounds. (laughs) So not using loop giveaways, not using giveaways at all. You'll notice I don't have, I hardly, I don't even have 5,000 followers on my account. I have never done a giveaway. If I did giveaways once a week, like some of the other people in my niche, I would have 10 times as many followers, right? That's how people have been growing their accounts. I don't subscribe to that. And I really, really scrutinize people who do. It doesn't mean that their, their followers are all fake. It just means that they've been using different methods for connecting, right? So just be aware of that when you're using constant giveaways. Sometimes if it aligns well, like I would give away power tools. That makes sense for me, but you know, that would be a very few and far between. So, so the people we're seeing who are being extremely successful at that conversion are people who are being unabashedly real about who they are. And, and they're being very careful about that. They're not being real seeking sympathy. So they're not being real the woe is me kind of real, not the look at my beautiful face, but behind it is a very sad person, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm talking about, right? Those I know, are the exactly what you're talking Because they about. know that it's going to, yeah, it's going to get like hundreds and hundreds of likes and people are going to say, oh girl, you know, you're beautiful inside and out. You know, those comments are going to get, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who are able to capture an authentic moment, accurately describe it in the moment, post it and don't think about it. Those posts will do incredible for you. Yeah. That's what you have to be doing consistently. So that might mean only posting three times a week, gasp, not three times a day. <laughs> right. And that's why it's going to take so long. So I think what we're going to see is a redefinition of an Instagram influencer. It's going to be people who are going back to being real. It's the people who are going back to being honest. Stop it with the all white interiors. Stop it with your kids matching your furniture. <laughs> Nobody's kids matches their furniture. Okay. Like, stop it. Stop it right now, right? Because it's going to shoot you in the foot. I mean, unless you actually have kids who match your furniture and that's authentic for you, but somehow I don't think it is. Yeah. So that's just all of, these are all of my thoughts. And and this is so top of mind for me because we just did on our podcast, he might be someone you want to talk to, um, Tyler McCall. So he has um, the fan or the follower to fan society. And I just love him to bits. And he's of the same mind. So that conversion just takes so freaking long. And 
if it's the only thing you're going for, I feel like you're going to end up being one of those people that just cycles and cycles and cycles and always feels bad about themselves. You're so right. And it's funny because this is one of the things that I often have conversations with my clients about. So like, oh my God, I don't know what to post. I don't know what to post. And, you know, but I know that I should be posting. And it goes back to what you said so beautifully that it's about value, especially I'm not talking about personal Instagrams. I'm talking about your business. Use Mm -hmm. your images, use your captions to solve a problem of your audience. What is the transformation that they're looking for? And I always, when I first started, I have to be honest, I was, you know, a little bit woe is me because I'm like, oh, I'm in the entrepreneurship space as a service. It's not sexy. It's not about my outfits. How does this kind of fit in? And I had to take my ego out out of it and be like, I need to show up for my clients. This isn't about me. So how Mm -hmm. can I actually use this platform to speak to their pain points? So it's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I cringe sometimes, which is bad, but when I see that, you know, hashtag, but first coffee, you know, that type of, it's like, how can you, it's about value. Why are those people following you? How can you use that platform um, to give them what they want? Mm -hmm. And as a blogger, like the way to think about that though, is let's think about how do you feel when I'm sitting in an office right now where my walls are unpainted, my hair is a mess, my desk is, you know, I've got tons of things on my to-do list today. I'm excited about work. I love my life, but it doesn't look like a picture. And I come to Instagram and I look at these people that I follow and their desks look pristine and there's no fingerprints on their MacBooks and, you know, (laughs) everything looks great. And it's a pretty picture, but is that really what I'm following you for? So, so when you are a blogger and you want to give value at that deep level, what you actually want to do with your audience is allow them to see themselves in you. And so if all you're doing is posting children matching the furniture or you, you know, that, that joke about women laughing with salad, like really, or, or frolicking in a field of flowers, like do it every once in a while, because maybe once every five years you frolic in the flowers, but what your audience wants is to see themselves reflected in you. And when you show those small imperfections, when you show those moments of absolute reality, they will respond. And that is how you convert. It just takes a long time. (laughs) And you're no longer a commodity. They're coming to you for a reason that you've established that know, like, and trust. Love that. Um, You have something really exciting coming up in November. Can you share a little bit more about the information? Yes. So exciting. So Storyhouse Co. is presenting the first ever 626 Summit. It is the six essential building blocks to a six-figure blog business. Um, And if you've listened, yeah, if you've listened this long in the podcast today, then you'll know that we're not necessarily going to be talking about SEO and Pinterest and, you know, all of these things at a very high level we will, but what we're going to be digging into is you know, more of this mindset shift that you need to have before you take that step to being real about who you're going to be as an influencer, how you're going to show up as a blogger. It's something that we've been working on, Jennifer and I, since, uh, you know, March of this year. It's very outside of the box thinking. Um, we're really excited to bring it 
entirely virtual and online. So folks from around the globe can tune in. Replays are available um, and tickets are on sale now. So the event is November 7th, 2018. And uh, you can get more information by just heading to our website, which is storyhouseco.com. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much, Erin. This has been great. Thank you, Naomi. It's been a, a pleasure. I'm so happy to have been here. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up. <laughs>